Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place. Join the editors of Consumer Guide Automotive as they break down everything that's going on in the auto world. New car reviews, shopping tips, driving green, electric cars, classic cars, and plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Tom Appel. All right, this is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for joining us again today. Hey, be sure to check us out at ConsumerGuide.com. Be sure to check out our 2020 Best Buy Picks. This list is an excellent starting place if you are looking for a new car or crossover. You will also want to check out our blog for complete reviews of all the vehicles we're driving here at Consumer Guide, plus all sorts of fun auto-related stuff. And if you've missed an episode or two, which again, unforgivable. You can stream back episodes of the Car Stuff podcast right there on our homepage. And of course, you can download them any place. All right, let's see who is online with us today. She is the managing editor of Pickup Truck Plus SUV Talk. Welcome, Jill Simonillo. Ah, thank you. It's good to be here this week. Now, you're out of town, right? You're not, you're not in the Chicago area. You're in Arizona. Uh, I am in an undisclosed location, but no, I am not in Chicago. Okay. (laughs) Damon and I had a meeting. We're still going to talk to you. Oh, Uh, well, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) All right. This is week 23 since we've been in studio, week 23 since we've shared donuts. Uh, Uh, Very weird times. But you know what? I'm getting used to this. It's going to be weird to go back. No, it won't be weird to go back. It's going to be exciting to go back. You think so? Yes, because there will be donuts. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I'm looking forward to shaving, bathing, and wearing pants, but but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> in that order? Actually, in that order, yeah. Got it. Okay. All right. He is the senior editor here at Consumer Guide. He is president of the Midwest Automotive Media Association, and he's a regular contributor to the Alero Guy, Oldsmobile's Alero fan club newsletter. Welcome, Damon Bell. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I've always been more of an Achieva guy than an Alero guy. Once again, your fact sheet's wrong. I would have bet money you were going to say that. <laughs> Here's the thing about that. No one remembers the Oldsmobile Alero, but it was probably the best looking Olds uh, for a long time. I thought that was a great looking compact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No? Not there? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Uh, the, the tail end of the Oldsmobile run leaves me pretty cold. <laughs> All right. Anyway. <laughs> um... Do you remember there was an Achieva, I believe it was SCX. There was kind of a performance version of the Achieva. Yeah, that had a high output version of the Quad 4. It was like a 100-horsepower. It was supposed to be really obnoxious, but a great handler. And I think it actually had success in SCCA racing. Really? Yeah. And th- could you get one with a manual, I wonder? Yes. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Kind there, of there's cool an odd. Car. Yeah, definitely a unicorn there. Yeah. All right, kids. <laughs> after the first break, we're going to talk with John Beal. He is the editor-in-chief of the nation's finest old car magazine. The latest issue is packed with all sorts of fun stuff, including an awesome feature on the dashboards of the 1930s. Uh, very cool. Also, we're going to give away a couple of issues of collectible automobile magazines, so stick around to see how you can score some glossy old car magazine goodness. <laughs> you don't want to miss this. But first, hey, Jill. Hey, what? Ram made some news recently. Can you tell us a little bit about what that's all about? Yeah, you know, they, they actually made some kind of big news here. Um, they last week launched the Ram Rebel TRX, and this is a 2021 model, and it is said to go, I would say head-to-head with the Ford Raptor, but um, if you look at the specs of the TRX versus the Raptor, um, I think the TRX kind of crushes the Raptor. Uh, in terms of pretty much everything. And uh, it's meant to be, you know, the the king of the off-road. I think 
Ram called it the apex predator of the world. <laughs> um, so um, definitely targeting of the, Raptor of the, right of there. the truck world of, of the, the truck, truck world. world but of yes. the truck world. Um, and I, I believe in their launch video. I don't know if you guys saw the launch video, but they um, had a was it a, a T Rex that uh, kind of uh, ate a Raptor or something along those lines, uh. um, like in the dinosaur <laughs> Jurassic World theme. But um, very amusing. So a subtle hashtag, not so subtle. Um, you know, dig at at the Raptor. But so this is a new truck. You know, base price is going to be just around seventy thousand dollars, and it's going to be equipped with a six point two liter V8 engine. Um, and so it'll deliver 702 horsepower. So those of you who are familiar with um, the, the Fiat Chrysler, you know, V8 engines, this is the same engine that appears in the Hellcats, but it's a little bit detuned. It has a little bit less horsepower than what you'll see in, you know, the, the Charger Challenger Hellcat and even the um, Durango Hellcat. Um, so 702 horsepower, 650 pound-feet of torque. And um, it is you know, 100% meant to do like some high speed off road desert, you know, fun, fun, fun stuff. Um, and uh, it even has, and I thought this was kind of cool, it has launch mode. <laughs> it has launch mode. So, um, you know, if, if you are familiar with the Dodge um, brands with the, the Hellcats, you know, you are at a stop, you employ launch mode and you're, it, you know, it helps you get really good, you know, high RPMs. And um, so you can do it, you know, really fast from a stop acceleration. Um, now, now, but, now, Jill, to help us frame what this is, because I don't know yeah. if all listeners know exactly what we're talking about. Talk about what the Raptor is and, uh, and, and talk about what this whole desert running experience is about. Yeah. So, you know, the Raptor is um, a, a version of the Ford F-150 and, you know, it's got big knobby tires and a lot of, um, you know, tweaked suspension and off-road um, things so that it can um, go into like a desert, like a Baja race and perform really well and go really fast. And, um, but, you know, it also does very well in slow, like rock crawling kind of situations as well. So it's, but it's bred to go fast in like a Baja situation. And, and in fact, I believe both the, the TRX and the, uh, Raptor have Baja drive modes. And I think we can assume from the launch of the the Rebel TRX that the Raptor must be doing very well for Ford and that Ram thought it needed comp competition for that. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we recently had the folks from Jeep on to talk about the uh, Gladiator Mojave, which is another mm -hmm. vehicle in this vein. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you know, and, and so what's really interesting, and I don't know if you caught the news, um, but Chevrolet is going to um, do their own version of the um, of, of this as well. So um, what is I think they're calling it the ZRX. Uh, so that that's going to be coming too. So, I mean, there's definitely like I, I, I in one of the tweets I sent out, I'm like, let the truck wars continue because I mean, there's going to be some heat here. Yeah, and it just completely anecdotally, I'm I'm always amazed at the number of Raptors I see driving around on the streets mm -hmm. of my suburban mm -hmm. Chicago uh, right. neck of the woods. Uh, when you consider that, I don't can you even get into a Raptor for less than like fifty fifty five thousand dollars and fully stripped uh, form? Uh, those are pricey pickups, and they they've got way more capability than mm -hmm. you could utilize on the uh, suburban uh, streets. And I guess, yeah, I would question how many of those are actually taken to <laughs> off-road uh, locales right. and, and utilized to their full potential. But yeah, the, the image is certainly, it, yeah, <laughs> certainly the, the image is, is uh, a big selling point for those vehicles. I just want to make sure we bring up the, the stats for this uh, new Ram TRX. Uh, 4.5 seconds, zero to 60, mm -hmm. uh, 118 miles per hour top speed, which I believe is limited primarily. It's limited to that because of the tires. Off-road tires can't really handle much more than that uh, speed rating wise. So there, there's room in the engine for more top speed, but it's the tires are kind of the limiting factor there. And then finally... 12.9 seconds in the quarter mile. Now, absurd. To, to put those numbers mm -hmm. into context, 
uh, Corvettes of uh, even uh, of not that long ago were not that fast. And even the the kings of the hill of like the golden age of the muscle car could not achieve numbers like that. So here we are with a honking big off-road oriented pickup truck that puts up performance numbers that would embarrass uh, most sports car, muscle car mm-hmm. uh, vehicles of a decade or more ago, yeah. not that long ago. So pretty, yeah. pretty remarkable. Uh, of course, there's no uh, great strides in fuel economy there. Uh, no. But uh, yeah, the performance numbers are, are really impressive. Well, and another thing to note, too, is that this um, also requires premium fuel. I, I know in the Ouch. truck world, uh, yeah, in the truck world, mm. um, that, that's one of those things that um, people kind of go up in arms op- about is, you know, a truck requiring premium fuel. And, um, and and this is not a recommendation. This is actually a requirement. So um, a lot of times you'll say, well, it, it's recommended that you use 91 octane fuel to achieve the horsepower numbers. But um, everything that um, I've seen from Ram says, no, this is not a requirement. Your car will not operate properly if you don't use 91 octane food. Uh, food, yeah. <laughs> fuel. <Food>. <laughs> <laughs> it does have a hearty appetite. Yeah. Has a very hearty appetite. That's for sure. I we you know we've talked about uh, we we recently had a, a, a Zoom session with uh, Dodge and SRT with one of our automotive media organizations and the Dodge and Ram. Chrysler's performance brands, they're coming out with these ever more impressive uh, performance models. But for for how much longer are we going to have these Hemi-based, you know, Hemi V8-based super vehicles? And, you know, Ford has the Raptor and they have the Shelby GT500, you know, 760 horsepower. But they also have... Uh, just around the corner, a pure electric Mustang Mach-E. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess we should give uh, Jeep credit in that they are going to be, they, they are, have a 4xE uh, electrified Wrangler yeah. coming soon. Yeah. And they're talking about plug-in hybrids. But I guess the point I'm making is if you want, if you're a fan of these muscle truck, muscle car vehicles, maybe get it now because I just don't see the, you know, fuel economy regulations and various things. And, and frankly, the, the age of a lot of these basic powertrains and platforms, uh, allowing them to stick around for too much longer. Right. But I, point, I would have really? said, I would have said the same thing, uh, five, 10 years ago too. And here, here we are. So we, I think you and I have had this conversation for going on 10 years now. But but to your point, we have the Mustang Mach-E, which has a crossover coming out soon, which promises some pretty impressive EV uh, performance. But more importantly, perhaps more uh, relevant, is GMC's Hummer brand is about to make its appearance. And they're talking about a zero to 60 time for that of, of three seconds. So we're going to have a full-size pickup truck branded Hummer. That's as fast as any sports car on the market. So it, it yeah. there is a lot of madness, and and I think that the supercharged V8 may be a relic relatively soon, perhaps before I retire. Yeah, we'll, well see. Well, so like tomorrow then? My retirement? <laughs> yeah, because you know you're close, right? Have you guys planned a party? <laughs> it's a surprise party. Yeah, it would be a surprise at this point. It's a surprise to me. <laughs> My kid is still in college and I'm still paying tuition, so not just yet. Okay, two years then. Got it. (laughs) I'm looking. uh, Just one more one one more thing on the TRX. I'm looking at the press photos here, and I'm seeing a little detail that the that the Raptor also has. If you look really closely at the at the leading edge of the front fender lip, I see a little LED clearance light there. and that is, yeah, the, the new, uh, and I'm reading a press release uh, tidbit here, newly integrated, uh, new integrated fender flares at eight inches of body width. That's why you have those little clearance lights, because I think it's required by law. Uh, both the Raptor and the TRX are that wide. Again, <laughs> not something that I want to sneak into a grocery store parking lot. Uh, no. These are big vehicles. 
Yeah. Okay. And, and you know that this is going to, this means damage to the Taco Bell drive through. <laughs> well, I, I will say that the and I, the um, Raptor do, did fit in my garage, um, and I had the um, you know the the shortened version of it, so I fit fully into my garage. But I had to you know put the both of the side mirrors in to back into my garage. Um, mm. So very dependent on that backup camera to to get into my garage space, but um, <laughs> but it did fit. Um, and you know the the Ram Rebel, which is what the TRX is based on, would have fit um, if if it um, didn't have the two full doors. Um, it wasn't uh, what the what the crew cab. So it 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 fit um, widthwise, but not lengthwise. So. so there you go. These things fit in Jill's garage. Um, they do, and that, that is a test. That's it. That is a thing. All right. Okay, we are going to take a break. Jill, we will link to both your stories uh, so people can check out more about the, uh, the Rebel TRX. But we're going to take a break right now. When we come back, we're going to talk to John Beal of Collectible Automobile Magazine and see how he's doing. Stick around. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Uh, if you've listened before, you know that this is the time that I strongly suggest that you give me a follow on Twitter. I am Car Guy Tom on Twitter. That is Car underscore Guy underscore Tom on Twitter. I post pictures of old cars, really silly observations, and uh, I avoid profanity. So I think it's safe for the family. Uh, so there you go. Check me out on Twitter. All right. Our guest today is the award-winning editor-in-chief of the best old car magazine that you may not have heard about, but you should. He's also a lot of fun to chat with. He is John Beal. John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Great. Thanks for having me, guys. John, you, you have now been on four times. Uh-huh. Um, and you're still I, on the air. We, <laughs> we think. Barely. I actually have no indication that this goes anywhere, but we do record this. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do presumptuously refer to you now as a friend of the show, uh, and, and you are a reference on my resume, so I hope that's cool. <laughs> now that Now that he's... Now that he's four episodes in, can we even ratchet that up to like best friend of the show? Sure. Good friend. Good friend of the show. Okay. He will lend us money. The BF of the show. B BFF of the show. There you go. <laughs> he definitely needs the trophy. Okay. Yeah. Now that we've established our creds yeah. with John. Hey, John, you have this magazine that you put out. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got our. Uh, our October issue is uh, currently yeah. on, on sale. Yeah, tell us about that. Well, we've got uh, our usual array of uh, four fantastic feature stories and a few other nice uh, departments. Uh, we've got an article on the, uh, the 1975-78 Ford LTDs, which some of us may remember fondly or otherwise, but uh, <laughs> the last of the really large uh, Fords. Uh, before they downsized. We've also, going turning the dial farther back, we've got a story on the very earliest Pontiacs, 1926 to 30. Uh, we went way back to the founding of that brand. Uh, then we've got an interesting uh, little survey of the instrument panels of the 30s, uh, an article that we uh, headlined Gauges of Interest, uh, because there's an awful lot of uh, change in, the, um, in, in what people were looking at when they were uh, sitting behind the wheel. Uh, during the course of the 30s. And finally, there's an article on the, uh, it's a sort of a survey, again, and a kind of a uh, picture and chart thing about the upper medium priced car, the middle uh, medium priced cars of 1958, uh, which was a, uh, an interesting and tough year for them. Uh, there was a, a recession that, that hit that year, and it, it kind of uh, uh, kind of did a number on what was a, at the time a very contentious and, uh, and fully stocked uh, uh, price class uh, in American cars. And we've also got an interview uh, with John Chinella, who was a uh, famous uh, uh, Pontiac, uh, primarily Pontiac designer uh, in the in the 60s and 70s. Uh, even in, he worked for General Motors into the 90s. Uh, and then our usual uh, photo features and uh, cements. Now, now, 
the, the designer, John, that you just talked about, he, he was responsible, at least in part, for the Fiero, correct? Yes, yeah, yeah. He was in, in the, he was the head of the studio when the, you know, when the Fiero was being uh, designed. And uh, so he was involved deeply with that, uh, with that project. And uh, he, uh, some of, our, um, uh, some of our, your listeners might be interested to know that he also had a hand in uh, a number of um, uh, TV cars. Uh, he was involved with the, the um, uh, with the work that was done to do the uh, the A Team van, the GMC, and also the, the uh, Kit Firebird from Knight Rider. Excellent. Mm. Yeah. And speaking of, speaking of Trans Ams, prior to the TV cars, and I before I mention that, I have to say I did not know that he had a hand in the A-Team band. And that's shocking to me because when I was 10 years old, I was a <laughs> avid watcher of the, of the A-Team. Uh, and, and, and looking back on it, there is a little bit of design professionalism, for lack of a better way to put it, to that van that, that it, now that I know it, it doesn't surprise me that, that there was a, official GM designer that had a hand in that. And mm-hmm. it does kind of fit in with some of the aesthetic of, of what Pontiac and GMC uh, were doing at the time. But I also really want to mention that uh, Shinella had a hand in the infamous uh, Trans Am Firebird screaming chicken hood graphic. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, was an absolute icon for that car. And uh, absolutely, you know, it got to the point where, yeah, you really didn't have a, a Trans Am unless you had one of those on the hood. So uh. <laughs> that that is a thing that is so etched into my youth. I mean, my puberty would have been different had it not been for the screaming chicken on the hood of the Trans Am. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah, so, was, and, and yeah. Oh, John, yeah, that's one of my. That's, oh, go that's ahead, one Dan, of my. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about uh, collectible automobile is the interviews with the 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 people that were there and had a firsthand experience with the with the creation of of some of this. And if I remember right, wasn't it uh, they they had a sort of early version of that hood bird, and they took it out and did some kind of boots on the ground market research and drove the car to a couple. Uh, drive-ins and and cruise night type things in the early 70s and the the kids went nuts for it and that's when they sort of knew hey we're we're kind of on to something here with this with this crazy uh hood uh graphic and as you can imagine that's probably the kind of thing that upper management of the company would be like what what is what is this but uh and and they would have encountered some resistance but with that uh real world <laughs> market research in the form of multiple thumbs up from the drive-in crowd they were able to push it through and of course it became a big success on the production car Yes. Yeah, absolutely. They uh, part of that story is that they actually um, put one on on Bill Mitchell, who was the styling vice president for General Motors. He had a um, he had a, a black uh, Firebird. And they put one on his uh, on the hood for uh, his car, and uh, I don't know <laughs> whose idea it was to do it and then tell him about it later. Uh, but when yeah. he, saw it, he <laughs> um, that could have been a career defining moment. But right. uh, yeah, it's that better better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Uh, philosophy yeah. uh. but when he saw it he like 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 that's terrific that's great yeah that works that's let's do that and uh so they sort of uh yeah it was it was sort of a rolling calling card but it's true that story yeah going to uh john chanella's story that's uh that's what happened uh the the they tried it out on his car his personal firebird and he took it and sort of did a little bit of impromptu you know drive-in uh market research and came back and said this thing, you know, people like this thing. This, you know, this is a, you know, and it, it was, there already was a smaller Firebird. If you think back to like the 1970, 71 Trans Ams, there was yeah, a small version. Yeah, just on version. the nose, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they already had that, uh, a version of that, that concept that there was a, you know, that there should be sort of a, a, a bird uh, icon. But, uh, but to, to make it the size of the entire hood. Uh, that you know, and, and just really just be out there and in your face. Uh, that was that came you know came later. Right. You know, it's it hard to deny the pure awesome of that giant screaming chicken and the six point six on the scoop. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. Those, yeah, yeah, etched in my mind forever. 
So awesome. That's actually the, the yeah the other thing too is because the Trans Am had that protruding shaker hood scoop that kind of body color scoop that poked through mm-hmm. the hood, there was that sort of U shaped space around it that needed mm-hmm. or, or that that made it uh, the perfect spot to hey we could lay some gigantic outstretched wings in there and fill that right. space. Right, yeah, you still have room <laughs> for that. Yeah, and you really you basically almost like. You almost sort of enveloped that that scoop and just like you know, remember this thing? Look at it. Here it is. You know, and and you, exactly. you're sort of cradling it almost. So, yeah, it's so awesome, John. I wanted to talk about the dashboards article, but I have to talk real quick and have you tell us about the cover because the car in the cover is so striking; it's undeniable. What what is this car, and uh, why does this cover look so darn good? Well, it looks good because we have a good a good photographer uh, and, a, and a fellow named uh, Phil Toy uh, from out in the San Francisco Bay Area, who's uh, done wonderful pictures for us uh, for a good number of years. Like like a good number of photographers, that's one of the uh, uh, that that work for us. That's you know one of the strengths of the magazine is is uh, is wonderful photography. Uh, we've got a 1956 Alfa Romeo 1900C Super Sport with a Zagato body on the cover. Uh, it's for us it's a rare thing it's a it's a dead on front angle uh yeah. which is a little bit different look for us but this car looks really the details on this car are really great and even and it kind of you really um you really get to pick up the uh the, the famous zagato sort of double bubble roof effect uh that really becomes apparent in this angle uh so yeah that's uh, that's what uh, uh what we've got on the cover and it's one of a you know a very few cars are very rare and, and and expensive you know as a collector car it's a it's a you know it's a seven figures collector car so uh it's uh, really something really something to see yeah that's crazy there are more pictures inside there is a photo feature of this car so if you go yeah, to the newsstand and pick one up or if you're looking up to one later there. in the show yeah, yeah. check this out <laughs> Okay. So, John, John, this dashboards feature is flat yeah. out awesome. Talk a little bit about that because you you have walked us through, readers through, a, a, a nice sampling of dashboards through the 30s, and they evolve in a very interesting way. Why did you guys do this piece? And thank you for doing it. And tell us what it is that we're seeing evolve. Well, this is a one of a series. We've done uh, other sort of uh, dashboards of a decade articles, uh, 40s, 50s, and 60s. Um, and publisher Frank Piler wanted to uh, wanted to do the 30s, and um, we did a lot of tight shots of of. Uh, uh, of dashboards, which were quite literally when they started out, a you know just a board. Uh, you very much had uh, you had you just had an array of you know you said dials fixed into a flat, a generally flat panel, uh, with very little you know attention to uh, you know to placement or, or organization or sometimes you know there really was no styling to it. Um, they tended to, sometimes it tended to be grouped in the center of the dash, so you had to sort of like a driver had to kind of like look over. And sometimes the dials weren't even all really all that big. But as the as the uh, decade wore on, uh, I think the uh, designers began to see that this was another area that that could be styled as much as the outside of the car could be, and you begin to see a gradual uh, uh, recognition of this and, and a lot more attention to the materials. The organization uh, of where uh, where instruments are, uh, the kind of the embellishment and decoration, um, and uh, you know it, it, it changes. So that the, by the end of the decade, kind of the beginnings of the the modern instrument panel are really kind of there uh, by by 1939, and uh, you know kind of the uh, sort of standard layouts. You begin to start to get depth in the you know it used to be that the dash was. Basically, a panel right right up to the firewall, practically, of the car. Right. But when you started to get uh, curved windshields or at least V'd windshields that slanted back at an angle, now you started the dash had to kind of reach back forward towards that you know that oh, windshield yeah. a little bit farther yeah. out. And and now you started to begin to have uh, an area for things um, that. Um, you know that that you could put other other uh, instruments on or controls, and you had to sort of like pay attention to that as an area to uh, it could be seen. So it, could, you had an, it was an area that you had to sort of pay attention to to, to style uh, a little bit. Yeah, the other the other thing that that John, you and I were talking about earlier is as the 30s wore on, 
uh, cars started to get more features, like radios became yeah. more common. Yeah. Right. Uh, and right. there were there were elements beyond the bare essentials. Uh, mm-hmm. Gauges were yeah probably pro- proliferating too. So there was just more elements and more stuff on that was located on the dashboards that that needed to be styled and integrated into the overall design. So that had a big effect as well. Right, right, yeah, you, yeah, it's true. You had, um, you know, and you still needed to make room for things. You know, if you look at some of the, the things that aren't dials, the knobs. I mean, people still had, you still had um, chokes that had to be manually set. This is before the carburetors had manual had, had automatic chokes on them, and and you know, and uh, so drivers were very much in control of a, of a lot more. Uh, of the of the uh, the operational function of of, of, the, of their where where their car operated, and so they had to have controls for that stuff, and a lot of that had to be I mean had to be placed on the dash. You also start to see by the end of the decade too um, a rise of plastics uh, mm-hmm. in things like steering wheel rims and uh, and, and control knobs, and uh, uh, so there's, there's a it's kind of switching from from you know from metal to you start to see a lot a lot greater use of of uh, plastics by the end of the, by about 38, 39. And I think, yeah, and I think I recall, I, I, I think I recall seeing at least a few uh, ads uh, of that time frame. And it's funny because today we think like, oh, well, real wood dashboard trim or real wood trim is, is much, you know, more prestigious and better than, than cheap plastic. But in the 30s, like, Plastic was the space age new material and was considered mm-hmm. way more advanced and, and state of the art than like you know old yeah, it was tree material yeah. you know mm-hmm. right <laughs> right <laughs> yeah, that's, very, very cool. that's very true and they they still had a lot of the dashes were you talk about about you know they they had the wood grained look but a lot of it was painted mm-hmm. on. It was so. It was. It was very common that that uh, uh, you know that that kind of an interior. Uh, open cars may some some of those might have had dashes that were painted to match the uh, the exterior, uh, but a lot of the uh, sedans and coupes, a lot of the closed cars, had uh, wood grained dashes. But it was all it was. A, it was a painted effect, and it looked like that they were huge chunks of wood, but it was all a painted right. effect. And it was pretty pretty common, you know, pretty much pretty general. Most brands did that that way. John, what are all these gauges, right? People today, we need a speedometer and a fuel gauge. <laughs> mm-hmm. But there's like nine gauges on some of these dashboards. What are people looking at? Well, uh, you a lot of car. You know, we, we think it's a it's a great benefit nowadays to have a full complement of gauges. Like, hey, uh, you know, somebody's really giving you something when they're giving you, uh, you know, a, a gauge, a, a dial for everything. Um, however, uh, before the idiot light, uh, much before the idiot light, that was that that was the only every you know your your fuel gauge was a gauge, your your oil pressure gauge was a gauge. You didn't really just rely on a, on an indicator to come on. Um, you know, so so everything that we think of as a uh, you know as a uh, full gauge complement that you'd find in a in a premium car or certainly in a performance you know in a high performance car that was just the way it was done even you know most um, you know even even some of the uh, cheaper brand cars had um, uh, you know had full full dials you know full full array of dials uh, some of the uh, the really Exotics of the day, the Duesenbergs and, and things like that. They, I mean, they would add things like they had altimeters, and you know, they would have a. Uh, they had tachometers. I want an altimeter in my car. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so yeah, there was you know there there were some um, uh, some amazing um, you know uh, combinations of things, but uh, uh, but yeah, they 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 very much had uh, you know. A, a, uh, you had to have a full gauge package, otherwise things just weren't being watched. Yeah. John, this is a great issue, and everyone should check it out. How can people get a hold of their own copy of Collectible Automobile Magazine? Well, they certainly can find us at our website, www.collectibleautomobile.com, uh, where they would find information on how to, uh, how to order a, a copy uh, if they're not already subscribers. And they would find information on how to subscribe, which would be a great idea, too. Oh. Uh uh, and uh, then we also have a, a, a finder list there too of, of retail outlets. Provide you know if your if your store is open and running, um, we've got a uh, you know a list of, of places there too. Now, John, I don't want to speak out of turn as I often do, but in my opinion, and, and let me know if you agree, <laughs> 
collectible automobile would make a fine gift for somebody. It always <laughs> make, would make a fine gift. Um, yeah, there, there's there's few people that it's not right for. <laughs> Perhaps my mother. Um, <laughs> all right. What? She's not into cars. No, not really. <laughs> not really. Weird that I make my bread and butter. She have a bird who needs a, has a cage that needs to be lined. Yeah. <laughs> John, we're going to do something extraordinary this week, but when you go out for lunch today, I'm going to steal two copies of Collectible Automobile from your office. Okay. Uh, we're going to go ahead and give those away. So here's how people can win a free copy of Collectible Automobile Magazine. The first person, absolute first person to email me, they can just go to consumerguide.com and go to the Contact Us tab, uh, gets a copy. And then the first person to email me after the show airs on WCPT AM 820 this week. So that way, uh, radio show listeners get a chance at this too. So we're giving away two copies. Uh, you can win one. If you don't win one, I heartily recommend you buy one. I would second that emotion. <laughs> well, John, it is always a pleasure to have you on the show. We'll have to do it again soon. Uh, but thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Tom. Thanks, for, guys. It was great to talk to you again. All right. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. We're going to take a break. When we come back, it is quiz time, uh, which is always all sorts of fun. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Uh, this is the part of the show where I usually turn to Jill, uh, and I say, Jill, how can the kids follow you on Foursquare? <laughs> I, uh, unfortunately, uh, I am no longer on Foursquare, uh, but you can follow me on pretty much every other social medium. Oh, uh, do tell. Yeah, so uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and um, the newest addition to the uh, social media menagerie is uh, TikTok. And you can find me at Jill Simonello, so all one word, um, at J-I-L-L-C-I-M-I-N-I-L-L-O. Uh, the jingle is still to come. We're about a year out, and I've been planning this jingle for a while, and it still hasn't come. So I'm working on it, I swear. Oh, yeah, I've been waiting, too. I've got Jill's jingle written down here in my notes. I, I know. Someday I will surprise you with a jingle. We will be surprised by that. Hey, Damon. <laughs> yes. Damon, you're on, you're on Foursquare. Uh, I am not. I'm oh. not on Foursquare, but I am on Twitter at well, Damon Bell good. Likes Cars. Damon Bell Likes Cars. Damon uh, also spots the occasional strange, fun, or weird or rare car, so Damon is worth giving a follow to. Jill, I don't yes. see you spotting the weird, rare, old, or strange cars. What's up? I actually had two car spotters last week. Thanks for Yeah, she had a good one. Yeah. The, oh, okay. the Cobra Daytona. She had a picture of a Cobra oh, Daytona, which, that was which solid. has yeah. to be a replica because if it was real, that's like a – that's one of the most valuable cars on the planet. I don't know. So. It was in the Indianapolis area during Indianapolis 500 weekend. So I'm going to you say it, it has the potential to probably maybe be real. All right. No, it does not. <laughs> well, and I also posted a picture of the um, the Ford Galaxy 500 last week as well. So ah, I'm just saying. Right. Couple, but right, the, the, right. the, the Cobra was the coolest. So, yeah, I do it. I do car spotter. All right, you have used the car spotter hashtag, so yes. Uh, all right, I'm removing one demerit from your record. <laughs> how, how, how many demerits do I have? Is the question seventeen? Got it. Okay. A lot of them are secret. I can't tell you why you got them. Got it. Okay. All right, kids, it's quiz time. I know you've been waiting for this, and I did tease it before the commercial break, so we should probably get to this right away. Uh, today's topic is. Audio Systems, the Car Stuff Power, Podcast Power Quiz is brought to you by Collectible Automobile Magazine. Uh, John needs to now write me a check. All right. <laughs> Who goes first this week? Uh, I think it's Damon it this Jill? week. Oh, I thought it was Jill. <laughs> I can go first. I, I don't just... care. <laughs> All right. All right, Jill, you're going first. All Jill, right. Jill, are mm -hmm. you ready? I'm, I'm not ready, but go ahead. 
Jill, how much is the optional Bowers and Wilkins sound system in the 2020 BMW 840i Grand Coupe? Is it $3,400 or $4,400? I'm going to go with $4,400. All right, same question to Damon. Just to be interesting, I'll go with the cheaper number. That's $3,400? Yes. All right. Damon wins that one. Um, Wow. Damon comes out strong. Totally on a whim that you did that. It was because I was, I just, I figured like, well, let's just make it interesting from the start because if we agree (laughs) that we're either at the same level or, but yes, had I gone first, I probably would have said 4,400. Got it. Yeah, because both of us uh, have agreed that we know nothing about audio systems. So um, I think we are actually also decided the lowest score wins this round, right? <laughs> no, 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 yeah, no, yeah, no. Yeah. All right. Question two goes to Damon. Hey, Damon, the 2020 Cadillac CT4 Luxury, that's the base CT4. How much is the sun and sound package on that car? That includes a sunroof, Bose 14-speaker sound system, Q, which is the Cadillac user experience, that's their digital interface, and wireless cell phone charging. Is it $1,500, $2,500, or $5,500? Mm, I'm going I'm to say $2,500. All right. Jill, same question to you. I'm going high. I'm going to say $5,500. Oh, Jill, you are in a hole. It is $2,500. <laughs> Dang it. Well, because the thing is, is like GM always charges out the wazoo for all of their options and like everything's an option. So I was just like, I'm going to go high. It is it is that wazoo policy that can get a company in trouble. Yes. All right. (laughs) This question goes to Jill. Jill, are you ready? Apparently not. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jill. Hey, Jill, what branded premium audio system is available in the 2020 Genesis G90? That would be Genesis, Hyundai's luxury brand, and the G90, Mm -hmm. their largest sedan. Is it Revel, Lexicon, Bose, or Nakamichi? Uh, Okay, seeing as how I've never heard of Nakamichi, I'm going to go with Bose. All right. Damon? Uh, Lexicon. Damon is correct. Good grief. (laughs) I'm telling you, low score wins. Yeah, Rebel is the system we've been seeing in Lincoln's. Bose is everywhere. And Nakamichi used to be a Lexus Lexus, uh, system. Huh. Oh, did okay. Nakamichi? I, I don't. I know Nakamichi is a high-end home stereo brand. I guess I, off the top of my head, I don't recall them being in cars. Yeah, yeah. No, they were in Lexus products a long time ago. Okay. Mm-hmm. Lexus has since moved to Mark Levinson, as we probably yeah. all know. Right. Yes. Okay, Damon. Damon, how <laughs> much is the available Bang & Olufsen audio system in the 2020 Ford Mustang EcoBoost Premium Fastback? This is a 12-speaker system that includes HD radio. Is it $500, $995, or $1,200? Uh, going Aiming for the middle has, has treated me well, but I, <laughs> I, so I think I'll do that again, even though I have my reservation. So I will say that $900 price. All right. Jill, $500, $995, or $1,200? Um, going high hasn't worked for me, so I just figure I'm going to stick with it. Um, I, and, and, I, and I should I should preface this with I am totally not an audiophile whatsoever. I moved a couple of weeks ago and accidentally left a sound bar in one of our test vehicles. It happened to be the Genesis G90, by the way, um, oh. and still haven't gotten it back from our fleet manager. And frankly, I don't miss it. Um, okay. So with that like little statement, I'm going to go 1200. Wrong. It's nine. <laughs> oh. So well, again, a thousand here I, now, win, I? I win. I win. What I like about this is that Jill's hair is on fire and she's not going to put it out. So no, no, not even a little bit. Okay. This next question is really easy. Uh, this one goes to Jill. <laughs> yeah. Not and it makes either. me laugh that it makes me laugh that you're going to get this question first. I worked on okay. this one for like 20 minutes. Okay. Um, hey, Jill. Huh. How, how much was the optional premium audio system on the 1988 Eagle Medallion LX? Oh, good grief! Oh, 
The LX was the base model. That system included AM FM cassette stereo with electronic tuning, a graphic equalizer, which had to look totally cool, uh, six speakers, and a power antenna. Okay. Was it 228 bucks, 515 bucks, or 728 bucks? Oh, good grief. This is before, like, my memory of cars and um, knowledge of money. Um, okay. Uh, I, you know what? I'm going to stick with my theme. I'm going high. I don't think it's the answer. I'm going to qualify it with. I do not think it was $725, but I'm going to say that anyway. Again, your hair is on fire. Um, <laughs> uh, Damon, I need your uh, your guess here. Uh, premium uh, audio system on the 1988 Eagle Medallion. You are our resident Eagle expert. This should be easy for you. <laughs> uh, I'm going to stick with my the strategy that has treated me well so far and go for the middle again. So that five hundred dollar price. Uh, five fifteen. Five fifteen. Whatever it was. There you go, uh, Damon. You are five for five. Awesome. Okay, so what I'm getting here is you just did the classic, um, the the you know Scantron test, and if you select B the entire time, you're more likely to get a higher score. That that's what you just <laughs> did here. B B B B B. Actually, though, when you're talking about stereo equipment, the, uh, there there's a lot of elements that go into that because. You know, when when video cassette recorders, when VCRs first came out, they were fifteen hundred dollars or two thousand dollars. Like, you know, the 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 leading edge of of something that's always expensive at first, and then it comes down. So there's got to be a weird nineteen eighty eight. You figure, yeah, the nineteen eighty eight dollar went a lot farther, mm -hmm. but the the specialties of technology were higher then. So a hi fi car audio system was kind of a newer idea then. So yeah. that cancels yeah. out some of the, the cheapness of, you know. A graphic equalizer and six speakers, kind of a big deal in those days. All right, we're exactly. going to go with a bonus question uh, <laughs> just, just to see if Jill can avoid being shut out. Uh. Uh, this question <laughs> goes to Damon, I believe. Damon, which of the following is not an ingredient in the Slim Jim original? We're talking about the <laughs> beef snack, the fun, spicy uh, meat snack here. The Slim Jim Yes. Yes. Which of the following is not an ingredient? Uh, beef heart, mechanically separated chicken, corn, or uh, paprika extractives? Uh, tell me the first two again. Beef heart and mechanically separated chicken. I'm going to... I'm going to say... I'm, I'm I'm waffling between the first two, so I'll say mechanically separated chicken. All right, Jill. Uh, I was going to say mechanically separated chicken as well, just because that's very specific detail. But um, since Damon said it, obviously I can't say it, so I'll go with beef heart. Jill, you're correct. Ah, <laughs> uh, so, see. So that means I win the entire the thing just thing. because I got that right. Yeah, because you got nothing else right, but you got the <laughs> bonus question about a Seven Eleven product. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, you win everything. Your your, pri your prize will be Tom's personal autographed copy of Macho Man Randy Savage, <laughs> Slim Jim spokesman. Super excited about that one, Jill. I might be able to score you a back issue of Collectible Automobile Magazine, but don't count on it. <laughs> Damon, your autographed copy of the quiz is in the mail. All right. Looking That's forward I, to it. I could just lay it on your desk, but mail is so much more formal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want I want I want a wax seal on the envelope. I want it formal, you know. Don't we all? Presentation counts. Yes, it does. You've got that brass, you know, the little wax uh, stamp when you drip the candle wax onto the envelope yep. to seal it. Yep. Yep. So dust that off. Yep. All right. Hey, Damon. Yes. What's going on at the blog this week? Our usual roster of great articles and our uh, standard uh, lineup of uh, test vehicle features. A uh, couple of SUVs this week. Actually, both of them are in the, the midsize SUV category, but are very uh, kind of show the opposite uh, ends <laughs> of that category. We've got a review of 
basically Chevrolet's top SUV that isn't a Tahoe or Suburban, and that's the Chevrolet Traverse High Country. High Country is the, the top trim level. One of the biggest SUVs in what we call the midsize SUV category. It's a three-row uh, crossover uh, sized in the realm of like a, a, pilot, a Honda Pilot, Toyota Highlander, though I think uh, the Volkswagen Atlas, I think it's a tad bigger than all of those. Mm. Uh, and the high country is the top line trim level, which I think is fairly new. I can't remember when the high country trim level debuted, but that's yeah, this year top or last of the line. Year, it is new. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah the Traverse so is that's a, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say the Traverse is an interesting vehicle. We, we, we never consider it for best buy um, recognition for different reasons, but you have to give it points for, for passenger space, mm-hmm. for ride comfort and quietness. It is, it is a great vehicle for the highway. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what are the, uh, a lot of those three, the, the plus size three row SUVs, uh, their third row is actually spacious enough to, to fit more than kit bigger passengers than kids into. And yeah, I still think minivans are, are the best third rows, but the Traverse is one of the more spacious third rows in that uh, midsize crossover SUV category. So yeah, there's the, the Chevrolet Traverse and then a much different midsize <laughs> SUV. And I think we've all driven this. I, I believe, yeah. Jill, you've driven this too. The 2020 yeah. Toyota 4Runner TRD Pro. Yeah, that's a cool uh, which is vehicle. About as, it is very cool <laughs> and very old uh, and yes. unapologetic about that. It is mm-hmm. basically ended up that this is the the last soldier standing in terms of being a body on frame uh, truck based midsize SUV, and that's kind of what they all were uh, twenty years ago. And crossovers have kind of taken over since then. But the Forerunner is stuck around. It was last redesigned from the ground up in two thousand ten. And here we are uh, a decade later, and the sales have actually gone up as yep. I think uh, <laughs> yeah. those body on frame vehicles have kind of fallen away and that Forerunner uh, sticks around. So it's got a brawnier look than basically any other midsize SUV yeah. and that Toyota build quality and reliability too. terrible fuel economy compared <laughs> to uh, most of the rest in the class. Uh, but yeah, an off-road ruggedness that is seemingly winning over even more shoppers as it ages. So we've got a full yeah. review on that. Yeah, and, well, and if and, you think the apocalypse is coming, <laughs> this might be your vehicle. <laughs> but, exactly. but I do want to I do want to say if you're going to take it into a lot of Chicago um, parking garages or any parking garage anywhere in the United States, probably not the best idea with the basket on top. Um, yeah, watch course, out for the roof rack. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I um, had a couple of. Uh, Close scrapes with that. <laughs> All right. Uh, and maybe, then the one, one more thing, yeah. What's that? Maybe one more thing. Yeah, we've got, got a review of the uh, vehicle that we talked about previously, and that's the 2020 Alfa Romeo Giulia Ti Lusso, a good-looking Italian sports sedan and a very cool metallic green color called Verde Visconti, which is very <laughs> yeah, fun to say. Yeah, color. All right. People can check out all this stuff and lots of stuff more. Wow, that was a weird sentence. People can <laughs> check out all this stuff and plenty of additional stuff. Go to consumerguide.com and, and just hit the blog tab, and you will find all the stuff Damon just talked about, plus plenty of other reviews of vehicles we've had right here at the office. Okay, kids, we have come to the end of yet another week. Thank you for being here. Um, special thanks to John Beal of Collectible Automobile Magazine. You want to check out that magazine. Uh, special thanks to Jill Seminello, co-host uh, and editor-in-chief over at Pickup Truck. Managing editor. Car. Managing editor. What did I say? <laughs> You're trying to uh, make me take over my boss's job. <laughs> you said editor-in-chief. <laughs> My bad. Special thanks to Damon Bell. He is the senior editor here at ConsumerGuide.com. As always, thanks to producer Paul and the good folks here at WCPT AM820 in Chicago. Thanks to my radio mentor, Steve and Johnny. That's the stuff. Let us talk more about cars next week. 